Chapter twenty five of Far from the Madding Crowd. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Tig Hines. Far from the Madding Crowd by Thomas Hardy. Chapter twenty five. The new acquaintance described. Idiosyncrasy and vicissitude had combined to stamp Sergeant Troy as an exceptional being. He was a man to whom memories were an encumbrance, and anticipations a superfluity. Simply feeling, considering, and caring for what was before his eyes, he was vulnerable only in the present. His outlook upon time was as a transient flash of the eye now and then, that projection of consciousness into days gone by and to come, which makes the past a synonym for the pathetic, and the future a word for circumspection, which was foreign to Troy. With him the past was yesterday, the future to-morrow, never the day after. On this account he might in certain lights have been regarded as one of the most fortunate of his order. For it may be argued, with great plausibility, that reminiscence is less an endowment than a disease, and that expectation in its only comfortable form, that of absolute fate, is practically an impossibility whilst in the form of hope and the secondary compounds, patience, impatience, resolve, curiosity, it is a constant fluctuation between pleasure and pain. Sergeant Troy, being entirely innocent of the practice of expectation, was never disappointed. To set against this negative gain there may have been some positive losses from a certain narrowing of the higher tastes and sensations which it entailed. But limitation of the capacity is never recognized as a loss by the loser therefrom. In this attribute moral or aesthetic poverty contrasts plausibly with material, since those who suffer do not mind it, whilst those who mind it soon cease to suffer. It is not a denial of anything to have been always without it, and what Troy had never enjoyed he did not miss, but, being fully conscious that what sober people missed he enjoyed, his capacity, though really less, seemed greater than theirs. He was moderately truthful towards men, but to women lied like a cretin, a system of ethics above all others calculated to win popularity at the first flush of admission into lively society, and the possibility of the favour gained being transitory had reference only to the future. He never passed the line which divides the spruce vices from the ugly, and hence, though his morals had hardly been applauded, disapproval of them had frequently been tempered with a smile. This treatment had led to his becoming a sort of regrater of other men's gallantries, to his own aggrandizement as a Corinthian, rather than to the moral profit of his hearers. His reason and his propensities had seldom any reciprocating influence, having separated by mutual consent long ago. Thence it sometimes happened that, whilst his intentions were as honourable as could be wished, any particular deed formed a dark background which threw them into fine relief the sergeant's vicious phases being the offspring of impulse, and his virtuous phases of cool meditation, the latter had a modest tendency to be oftener heard of than seen. Troy was full of activity, but his activities were less of a locomotive than a vegetative nature, and never being based upon any original choice of foundation or direction, they were exercised on whatever object chance might place in their way. Hence, whilst he sometimes reached the brilliant in speech because that was spontaneous, he fell below the commonplace in action, from inability to guide incipient effort. 
He had a quick comprehension and considerable force of character, but, being without the power to combine them, the comprehension became engaged with trivialities whilst waiting for the will to direct it, and the force wasted itself in useless grooves through unheeding the comprehension. He was a fairly well-educated man for one of middle class, exceptionally well-educated for a common soldier. He spoke fluently and unceasingly. He could in this way be one thing and seem another. For instance, he could speak of love and think of dinner, call on the husband to look at the wife, be eager to pay and intend to owe. The wondrous power of flattery in Posados at woman is a perception so universal as to be remarked upon by many people almost as automatically as they repeat a proverb, or say that they are Christians and the like, without thinking much of the enormous corollaries which spring from the proposition. Still less is it acted upon for the good of the complemental being alluded to. With the majority, such an opinion is shelved with all those trite aphorisms which require some catastrophe to bring their tremendous meanings thoroughly home. When expressed with some amount of reflectiveness, it seems coordinate with a belief that this flattery must be reasonable to be effective. It is to the credit of men that few attempt to settle the question by experiment, and it is for their happiness, perhaps, that accident has never settled it for them. Nevertheless, that a male dissembler who, by deluging her with untenable fictions, charms the female wisely, may acquire powers reaching to the extremity of perdition, is a truth taught to many by unsought and ringing occurrences. And some profess to have attained to the same knowledge by experiment as aforesaid, and jauntily continue their indulgence in such experiments with terrible effect. Sergeant Troy was one. He had been known to observe casually that in dealing with womankind the only alternative to flattery was cursing and swearing. There was no third method. Treat them fairly, and you are a lost man, he would say. This person's public appearance in Weatherby promptly followed his arrival there. A week or two after the shearing, Bathsheba, feeling a nameless relief of spirits on account of Boldwood's absence, approached her hayfields and looked over the hedge towards the haymakers. They consisted in about equal proportions of gnarled and flexuous forms, the former being the men, the latter the women, who wore tilt bonnets covered with nankeen which hung in a curtain upon their shoulders. Coggan and Mark Clark were mowing in a less forward meadow, Clark humming a tune to the strokes of his scythe, to which Jan made no attempt to keep time with his. In the first mead they were already loading hay, the women raking it into cocks and windrows, and the men tossing it upon the wagon. From behind the wagon a bright scarlet spot emerged, and went on loading unconcernedly with the rest. It was the gallant sergeant, who had come haymaking for pleasure, and nobody could deny that he was doing the mistress of the farm real night service by his voluntary contribution of his labour at a busy time. As soon as she had entered the field, Troy saw her, and, sticking his pitchfork into the ground and picking up his crop or cane, he came forward. Bathsheba blushed with a half-angry embarrassment, and adjusted her eyes, as well as her feet, to the direct line of her path. End of chapter 25